Welcome to Our Scars Speak. My name is Christina Miner, and I am the host of this podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to provide our disclaimer. We are not claiming to be medical professionals or any other professional providing advice regarding your treatment plan. We encourage everyone to follow their doctor's orders. We are only here to share our experiences and provide support. Tonight, without further ado, we have Carolyn Plank, who is here with us. I'm so excited to have you. I thank you for coming on. I met her through IG. I don't even know how I met you, but I met you through IG. I do know that much. And I've just followed you and fell in love with your um, entire platform. It's so creative and you're just so friendly. And that's what really struck out to me. So thank you for being on Our Scar Speak tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on. Oh, thanks. So getting right into it, Caroline Plank, um, (laughs) I would like to know, can you just explain to the audience who you are without all the, you know, wonderful titles that we may have, which I don't mind if you include them as well, but just a little bit about who you are and how you describe yourself. Yeah, sure. So I am a medical speech pathologist by trade. I'm also um, a holistic health coach. I'm also a certified run coach. I'm an avid runner that's taken three years almost off of running and I'm just getting back into it. Um, I'm an animal lover. I have three dogs. (laughs) So it's busy. We live in Brooklyn, um, which is like unheard of. You know, people think I'm a dog walker when I take my dogs out. which I am, but not by profession. And (laughs) I I have a wonderful husband um, who is a filmmaker, producer, editor. He's also the person that made my documentary. Uh, Yes. And that documentary was beautiful. It is so Mm -hmm. nice. Um, And yeah, so that explains a lot with how your wonderful videos and stuff are right now and everything. (laughs) I do them by myself. Oh, you do. I do them by myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was just looking at like your whole entire background, like how you set up tonight. Just look. He so set this up. I, okay. Yeah. I will give him credit. He set this up, but I do most of my videos. That is awesome. By myself. I'm very proud of myself. I've, yeah. Uh, no, that on. that's good. Cause you have very creative um, platform. Very <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> it does take God. a lot of thought. A lot of thought and a lot of time. I'm like, gracious. It does. It really does. I'm like, how do I tap into my creative part of my brain? Absolutely. Because it takes, because I'm not very creative on that end. I'm more analytical. Mm-hmm. So to like do that, I'm like, oh my God, I got to really think this through because I have no creativity sometimes. But um, thank you for explaining yourself and who you are and what you do. And I just love everything that you're doing. And I would like to kind of get into the part of just starting out with what was life because your story is different. You, so I want you to just share before any of a potential breast cancer or any of that popped up into your life. What was life like before? And maybe mm-hmm. a little bit about your family history, because you do have a pretty, yeah, detailed, um, yeah. Very different situation. Yeah. So I mean, Christine, I honestly don't remember life before cancer. Right. Um, my, it kind of all weaves into it. Um, when I was two, my grandpa had pancreatic cancer. So he was the one who had the BRCA2 gene. Obviously, we didn't know that he had it. 
Okay. Um, so he, I, the, my only memories of him is going to visit him when he was getting chemo. And I'm surprised I even remember that, but that's my only memory of him. Mm. Um, he passed away when I was around two, three, and then my grandmother passed away from lung cancer. And then, um, my mom, when I was nine, 10 years old, was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. And then after that, her brother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was during that time when he was going through chemo, he Mm -hmm. he was a radiologist and he was kind of like, you know, there's this new genetic mutation that they kind of discovered. This was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, (laughs) that they found and it makes you higher risk for breast and ovarian cancer. And that's all kind of, they knew at that time and we should get tested for it. And so he got tested for it first and he was positive. And then my mom and her sister and her brother also got tested for it. And so my mom was positive. My aunt was also positive and that's actually how they found her breast cancer from that, um, uh, test. So, um, then once my mom was positive, they were kind of, I have 12 first cousins just on that side of 24 first cousins. That's another story. Wow. So I, after, <laughs> after my mom was positive, I was like, oh, I'll be the first one to get tested. I'm, I probably don't have it. I don't know like why I thought that, but mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have it. So I got tested and I found out that I had the genetic mutation like a few days before my 21st birthday. Wow. And yeah. And I had always had like cystic breasts and I, I, you know, when you come from so much cancer in your family, you're kind of like on alert all the time for everything. Mm-hmm. So I was always kind of like feeling around. I was like, I don't know, like, you know, these lumps and bumps, these cysts don't feel great. But once I got tested, my um, uh, gynecologist said that, you know, your whole healthcare is really going to change. And, um, And I was just, I didn't really understand what that meant. And, you know, but then eventually, you know, I had to go for mammograms every six months and, um, alternate with ultrasounds. And I wasn't like the most compliant, you know, people in the medical field are kind of like less compliant than the normal public, but I did go when I felt like I needed to go. So fast forward to when I was 28, my uncle had just passed away. I felt a lump on the right side and I went to go see my gynecologist and she was on vacation. And I saw this other guy and he was like, I don't think you need anything. Um, but we can do it just in case if it makes you feel better. And I was like, all right. And my mom, you know, thank God, obviously my mom survived stage four ovarian. She was with me and she said, no, you need to go get a mammogram. So we went and got a mammogram and then an ultrasound and the radiologist said, you know, I see something, but I'm not really concerned about it. But if it makes you feel better, I can refer you out to, um, a surgeon and an oncologist. Mm -hmm. So we did that. Um, and I had my first MRI should have had it before then, but I had my first MRI in my breast and the lump that I felt wasn't the lump that was issue an issue. I had another lump on the left side and it was a precancerous mass. So I had a biopsy and MRI 
MRI guided biopsy, which is oh awful. <laughs> you don't realize all of the biopsies are terrible, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they're all bad. But I the the MRI guided is is so long, and I was hanging oh. for it. Yeah, it was it was so long because they take pictures before, they take pictures during, oh, yeah. and then they take pictures after, and you're hanging there. It, I was just like, I did not know what I was in for. <laughs> oh, so they didn't even kind of prep you for what you were getting they, ready like, to do? Said, oh, they kind of said like that. They were like, right. oh, you're going to take pictures before, during, and after. But they, it it was much more involved than that. And mm. <laughs> and mm. and very long. I didn't wasn't expecting it to be so long. Um. So then, you know, the doctor was like, you know, we can do a, a lumpectomy or we can do a bilateral mastectomy to prevent it, you know, from both sides kind of being an issue. Right. So I am the type of person that's like all in. And I was like, let's just do it and get it over with because I don't want to have to like worry about this anymore, Right. which is a naive way to think, but it's, you know, what I was thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very hard decision to make very hard decision. It wasn't easy by any means. So when I was in surgery, they also found like some suspicious looking lymph nodes. They took those out on the left side as well. Oh, wow. Um, but I'm okay. I was okay Okay. for two years and Mm -hmm. until I got a breast implant illness in 2019, which was just the joys of that is just yeah speech but yeah so this started when you were 28 yeah yeah I started with, well I started with mammograms when I was 21 right but the 28 was when yeah. the, the suspicious lump and then the other lump was the one that actually had the precancer mm-hmm. but was it DCIS or was it the atypical hyper was it the hyperplasia I think it was the hyperplasia. You know, I've I've kind of like put it out of my brain at this okay. point, Christina. I've I'm like no. whatever. And um yeah. Okay. So you have that done. You get this the wonderful this biopsy, which yes, you're right, because all of them you have to go back and forth to I know for mine it was like the mammogram, the biopsy, mammogram, biopsy, mammogram. It was like back and forth all day. Yeah. Replacement to see where if the clips were in right. And it is, it's a long process. I can't even imagine with the MRI because I didn't have the MRI part. I just had the the sound and the mammogram. Um, so then you get the double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. So the double mastectomy was going great. Did the implant breast implant illness start immediately or did it was it like a fine and then it was a gradual process of various symptoms? So yeah. So I was fine. And like I said, I, I like to do things that, that, that let's just do it, get it right. over with. So I was like, I'm going to go straight to implant. Um, I'm going to do one surgery. I'm going to be done and then I'll be finished. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> so it was two years later. So I had my surgery in 2016 and then, uh, it was like the beginning of December in 2018 and I was laying face down on the couch and I sat up and I was like oh I kind of got a pain and I was talking to my husband he was like oh Mm -hmm. you probably pulled something like working out which you know like could have been you know I'm still getting used to my like new body right 
So I was like, maybe. And then I like a week later, I looked in the mirror and it was filling up. It was like getting higher up on my chest. So I was like, this doesn't look right. And um, so I sent a picture to my plastic surgeon. I think that was like a few days. I actually, it was a few weeks later, but um, she said, you know, come in the day after Christmas, first thing in the morning. And so I did because she thought I had ruptured the implant, mm-hmm. but I obviously I didn't. I just started filling up a fluid and they found a moderate amount of uh, peri implant fluid forming over my implants. And so she sent me to get it drained. I had it drained like three times and altogether, I think they put, took a pint of fluid out of my breast and then it started to come over onto the right side, which is like unheard of. And also can, if this middle part kind of detaches, it's impossible, very difficult to reattach it. So I was in so much pain, so much pain. Um, and she said, you know, let's hospitalize you and see if you have an infection. So I was Mm -hmm. on IV antibiotics for like four days and it was an infection. I didn't have any symptoms of infection. She thought it was like an atypical presentation. Okay. So, um, so then they were like, it's not that we're going to have to do surgery and open you up and, and see what we can find. So they opened me up and I had just a ton of scar tissue on the left side. They mm-hmm. found that the scar tissue was wrapped around a nerve on the left side. Um, and they, you know, they did a tire rotation. I have, I still have implants. Um, I don't love it, but I, you know, I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do as far as reconstruction at this time. So, yeah, I think something else happened with that whole situation. And I just have an extreme amount of, um, scar tissue in my flanks and I have been developing really dangerous blood clots. They're also called deep vein thrombosis, which can break off and they can go to your lungs or they can go to your brain and obviously, you know, be really detrimental. Right. So with the, okay. So what were your breast implant symptoms? Because to me, and I'm not, I'm no doctor, but based off what you're just saying, it sounds like capsular contractor. And the only reason I, why did, I, I had that, too. I had that as well. I ha- yeah. I had okay. that too. I have it right now. Right. It again, it's back. Um, but that wasn't the main issue. They kind of, okay. they were saying that, um, they toyed with the idea that I had the beginnings of the lymphoma caused by mm-hmm. breast implants and that the fluid was just, you know, I had T cells, but it didn't show malignancies, but they were saying that it might've been too early to show. So, but anyway, my symptoms were that the, it was mainly just fluid coming up my chest and I okay. felt as if my breast was going to explode. Mm-hmm. Just like, um, sitting forward, I felt like I couldn't, I felt like everything was going to fall out of my chest Mm -hmm. and I kind of had to like lay back a lot. I missed a lot of work. I was kind of, you know, I usually see patients on the floor and I was Mm -hmm. doing a lot of paperwork then and office work. So it was just really painful. It was really painful. So the fluid, because I had that same, it's probably the same thing. Um, I'm thinking, because we both had breast implant illness and capsule contractor. Uh, 
but I thought that was associated with the capsule contractor because of the tightening. But I remember laying down and every time I moved, I could hear the swishing of mm. fluid in my chest. And I thought I was going crazy. And I'm like, am I going crazy? But I also lost layers of skin. So I don't know if it was coming from the expander fluid or fluid mm. built up around. But that's interesting that you said that because it does. It very much so reminds me of some of the stuff that I had gone through at breast implant illness, but and then I had a ton of other symptoms. So those were the only symptoms and it just led you back to the doctor. So now you're kind of like at a point where it's like, I don't know what I want to do or if I want to do reconstruction and you still have implants right now. You yeah. Swapped them. Yes. I still, I, they just swapped them. Yeah. I mean, she said that my capsular contracture wasn't as like bad, that bad, and it shouldn't have caused that fluid. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. I was like desperate for answers. I was feeling really lost and confused. And I had reached out to, you know, the people that I had known and they were all kind of like that had gone through, you know, mastectomy and reconstruction. And they're like, I've never heard of that. Um, and then even my plastic surgeon said that, you know, she did peer to peers with other physicians. Mm -hmm. And they were like, sometimes you just get that weird one <laughs> who has oh. complications. I was like, that makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sad because I know for me, I was looking up the information. I was like, oh my God, because you see online where it says like a lot of doctors don't believe really in the breast implant illness and stuff. And so I was like, what do they think we're walking around here with it in our head that we're just making it up? Because right. especially when you really wanted the implants and wanted the reconstruction, I doubt if you're just making up stuff. So right. I back, yeah, I asked my doctor, I said, you think I'm crazy? She's like, no, she's like, do you tip, you have the typical signs of it. So I think finding that doctor that you feel comfortable with that can, you know, not make you feel like, oh, you know, you get that one. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> make you I'm, help make more I, better deci other decisions for yourself. I loved my plastic surgeon. I thought she was really nice mm -hmm. and she did really hear me, but she also didn't believe in breast implant illness. And right. I was like, I mean, I don't know what this is. It could, I don't know. I was like, then mm -hmm. what is it? You know? And she was like, well, people get silicone implants in their knees and their hips and they don't have stuff like this happen. But I will say that when this happened, it was like right around when this was happening to me, that breast implants got a black box warning, which means that they can cause death. Yeah. So when did, like, okay. So what year was that? If you don't mind me asking, I think that was like 2019. Cause it, I okay. was dealing with this from the end of 2018 into 2019 and right around then they got a okay. black box warning and I was like, oh, I guess I was right. <laughs> yeah. Because they weren't supposed to, um, honestly, I don't know if you got a, did you get a pamphlet when you got your implants with the no. warnings and all that? Huh? No, no, yeah, you were supposed to. So <laughs> That's something else that some of the doctor's offices weren't doing. They were supposed to have you, you supposed to get a pamphlet about your implants. When did and you get yours? I got mine. I didn't never, I never made it to implants. I had expanders. Oh, it was just the expanders. <laughs> it was the expanders and COVID hit. So I wasn't able to get the exchange. Oh. Had I got the exchange, it probably would have prolonged, you know, my symptoms or whatever. So I'm thankful I didn't. So when I got the expanders I immediately like I woke up from the double mastectomy not feeling right but I you know I have a chest open so I didn't think nothing of that it was just as time progressed and I had all these array of symptoms that I didn't have before surgery 
And then I told her and she was like, yes, you have breast implant illness and caps or contractor, but you're supposed to get like, I know with the expander, I got a card with, I got a card. I got a card. And I did get Make but sure they, the yeah, they didn't come out with the black box warning. They had it, uh, in like, tw- I think it was 2019. Cause I know before around that, maybe a little bit before that time, they were, it was a lot, a lot of controversy about the texturized because my doctor, right. I was 20, what year did I have my surgery? It was 2020, the beginning of 2020. And she said she didn't do texturized implants because they had a recall on them for cancer and all this kind of stuff. So what the gummy gummies was what I had mm-hmm. and supposedly been the safest one, but, and it either way, my body just rejected it just mm-hmm. as well as yours did, but we're supposed to receive a pamphlet. So there's organizations now that are pressing doctors to make for sure that patients are signing information stating that they know the risk of having implants. That's a great idea. I was yeah. like, uh, all these people from the nineties got all these implants, I guess. I'll be yeah. 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 Cause a lot of them, you know, they're getting them out. Cancer. Yeah. And they had cancer. They had a mm-hmm. secondary cancer. So that is something now what really also amazed me about your story too, was the, um, the blood clots that you were talking about mm. and do they know what exactly has caused, you know, caused this? Um, so, you know, I, I just, I, I switched to Sloan Kettering from where I was before and, and I'm seeing a new plastic surgeon now who also deals with, um, lymph node transfer and, and stuff like that. And, you know, he even said to me, he goes, I kind of want to study your case because I've never seen this before. Um, another, you know, like, I'm just like, Oh good, I get to continue to be <laughs> the anomaly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, you know, I went to go see a, a radiologist at Sloan Kettering and she did a dynamic ultrasound. So what you do is you put your arm in three different dis- uh, positions for like a few minutes at a time, mm-hmm. and then they track your blood flow. Mm-hmm. So my right side, I had one out of three positions completely stopped the blood flow. And then on the left side, uh, two out of three positions completely stopped. And they're like normal positions. They're out, up, and then back. Right. Um. So I said to her, I was like, in your career, and she, mind you, she is the only radiologist at Sloan that does these dynamic ultrasounds. I said, mm-hmm. have you ever seen anyone who didn't have chemo or radiation have blood clots and blood flow issues like this? And she said, no, I've never seen that. So, you know, I have a lot of nerve pain, a lot of nerve pain on the left side. Um, I I guess it's from the fluid building up and, um, and pulling on the nerves and damaging them. I'm not really sure like what went on in there. Um, but you know, I, like I said, I spoke with this new plastic surgeon and the plan is to eventually open me back up. And what they do is they kind of cut off the ends of the nerve and then they wrap them in tissue and then burrow them in muscle because sometimes when they try to grow back, it's like a frayed wire. So it's kind of goes nuts, but even like a hug, if someone comes around and hugs my left flank Mm -hmm. and puts their hands on it, like even a little bit, I'm like, Mm -hmm. and it's not normal after 
I run, if I try to use the muscle um, on this side, any muscles on this side, pulling something, pushing something, it's, it's like uh, tons of needles just like poking underneath my armpit and on my side. It's just, it's so painful and um, it's no way to live. So, you know, I was right. on Lovenox injections, which are awful. I did not realize how painful they are. And apparently they're not painful for everybody. If you have a certain pH, they burn. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So I was doing Lovenox injections from February until June of 2023 um, for the blood clot on, on the left side. Wow. Uh, so they, yeah. so they gave you the blood thinners to mm -hmm. try to, so yeah. With the blood clots, what were some of the symptoms? Were there any other different types of symptoms you were having that you may want to share with people? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, uh, so I, like I said, I'm an, an anomaly. Uh -huh. Um, I don't swell and I don't bruise easily at all. So okay. noticing them was really hard. The right side, um, it felt like a tourniquet was around my arm. It felt like somebody was just holding a tourniquet so tight around my arm. It didn't feel like I had any blood flow. Um, and I, which is, you know, how it feels to have a tourniquet around your arm and right. take blood and imagine that being on for like hours and hours and hours all day. And that's how it felt. Um, the left side was asymptomatic. Um, I didn't have any idea that I had it. Um, I went to go see the physiatrist at Sloan and she was, you know, she had me reach out my arms side to side and she was te testing the pulse on each side. And she was like, your left side is low flow. I want you to go get a Doppler. And that's how we got it. So, you know, when I did the ultrasound, um, the dynamic ultrasound, they said that, you know, the right side had low flow and they said it very well may have had other DVTs that I had no idea I had, but typically they swell. Typically you yeah. have swelling. And usually it's hot to touch too. Like it's hot. Yeah. It can be warm and it can be swollen, um, or it could be asymptomatic, which is really yeah. hard. That's and it's scary. also, yeah, it's so scary. I was like, oh my God. And yeah. so now I'm like, every time I feel kind of like, mm -hmm congested in my arm. I'm like, do I have it? Or is it like a muscle being crampy? That's also another thing, muscle cramping. Like you, you might feel like you have a knot in your shoulder or mm -hmm. something like that. That's another symptom, but it was so vague for me. Um, the left side, I don't know. I had an intuitive hit and I literally text. I had my, I have my PCP's number. I texted mm -hmm. her. I said, I think I have a blood clot in my arm. And she was like, you're crazy. You don't have any of the <laughs> indicators for a blood clot. You're not on birth control. You don't have any like genetic right. factors. I was like, I don't care. I have a blood clot in my arm. I need to come to the emergency room. And she was like, come to me first. So I went to go see her and she was like, I think it's muscular. And I said, no, I still want a Doppler. Um, Right. And that's another important thing. Like my mom was also with me for that one too. So it's always important to hopefully she's not in the medical field, but she will right. be mama bear if I need her to be. So it's always good to have a medical advocate with you when you're feeling kind of vulnerable and not hurt. Wow. So, so you advocated for yourself to get a Doppler and that's how they found both of us did. Yeah. That's and then, yeah. And then they didn't find it right away. 
And the ultrasound tech was kind of like, I don't see anything. And then we were like, get the doctor. So the radiologist came in and found it. Really? And that was all because of the tightness in your arm. Yeah. So you didn't have, and that, because all of them were in the arm area, correct? Yeah. They're um, in my atrial or my ventricular. Where is it? I don't remember right now, Christine, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's usually here. Okay. It's in my arterial artery. I think, I think that's where it is, but yeah, they're usually kind of like in my bicep area. And so, but for now, as far as you know, you don't have any more. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because also weightlifting, exercising also ironically puts me at risk because they have to do like, when I exercise, you know, you kind of hold positions or you do repetitive positions and that can also increase your risk. But I'm also kind of like, I'm young. I'm not going to not work out. So I'm going to just do what I need to do. And that's the part that is so like mind blow. First of all, first, first thing you said something that was very important about the fact that you hadn't been, you know, you, you didn't have chemo, you didn't have radiation and for you to be young and then have this. Because a lot of people do not realize that chemo and radiation can put you in a higher risk for cardiovascular issues. Um, and that's sad that a lot of doctors aren't sharing. And I, and I get it. Some of them probably just don't want to scare people from taking treatment. But at the end of the day, we still need to know what to be a lot, you know, aware of oh, yeah. um, dealing with our health. But I'm glad you brought that up because that is an important factor that even if you do not have any type of cardiovascular issues um, and then you didn't go through chemo or radiation, you still could have some, uh, because at the overall surgeries are a risk factor period to give you a blood clot anyway. So, but a lot of people don't know that either. So thank you for sharing that information. Right. Yeah. And always listen to your body. Um, Yeah listen to your body's cues. I don't know. I got a download in my brain. I don't know if it was my guardian angel, but I was just like, I have a blood clot. And everyone was kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, no, right. it doesn't run in our family, but it, we found out it does on my dad's side. <laughs> um, oh. yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I don't have a genetic, um, factor to it. My, oh. but my aunt does. And so I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. And it's good that from the very beginning, like you knew your family, the whole part about your whole entire story is fascinating, but the part that you knew your family history mm-hmm. and you knew what to look for, because a lot of people would have just had those cysts and been like, you know, this is probably just another cyst and why, mm-hmm. you know, go back and get more testing or what have you. But because you knew that you kept on advocating for yourself, regardless of what anyone stated. And then the blood clot issue is just a whole nother story within itself that you could have just said, you know what, I'm just going to take their word for it. But because you demanded it, they actually found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were able to get treated properly for it. So that is, that's amazing yeah. that you yeah. persevere, like, especially being young, because sometimes, you know, young, old, older, or whatever, you get tired of always going back and forth to the doctor. Oh, trust me. I mean, I'm yeah. giving you the abbrevi- abbreviated version, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> The breast surgeon that I had before, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different things that have happened in my journey, right. but the breast surgeon that I had before was kind of telling me that it was all in my head, that I was filling up with fluid. 
And also because of this scar tissue, I now have lymphedema and I had to go and have a lymphocytography and it showed that I have lymphedema. And, um, you know, my breast surgeon, my old one was Mm -hmm. like, um, you don't have lymphedema, you're too thin and young and you're a vegan and you run. So you don't have lymphedema. And I didn't take out any lymph nodes. And I was like, well, you did. And my plastic surgeon sent me for a lymphocytography and she goes, I don't need to look at it. You don't have it. Can you imagine? And I'm, and I'm kind of thinking like, if I can't be heard, like I'm a medical professional. And, um, if I can't be heard, who, who, who's going to be heard? Right. So I, I just, I don't, I don't know. And it's a bummer, but I don't go to her anymore. (sighs) That is, oh, that makes me angry. It makes me angry. Yeah, it it really does. Because like you stated, for some people, they have no medical knowledge of anything. Right. Nothing, you know, a lot of us just don't go to medical school or a lot of us, you know, we just don't have that interaction with the medical field. Maybe you've never been to the doctor before Mm -hmm. because you've been completely healthy and then you get thrown into something and you don't even though you understand what they're saying, you could even understand what they're saying and ask questions and they still deny you. And Mm. yeah, for you to be someone who understood and still wasn't heard, there's so many voices that aren't being heard. Right. And, and, and it's like, we're in New York city. She's a well-known surgeon and Mm -hmm. she sees celebrities too. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, are you, are you kidding me? And you're another woman, you're a woman too. Like you, I'm sure you want to be heard, but it was very dismissive. She told me that I probably had a shoulder issue and I should go see a, a, a shoulder surgeon because I, I exercise. <laughs> I was just like, okay, I'm done. Wow. And you said something about exercise that is true too, which is sometimes we have you know, various issues, medical issues. And it's like, you know, you need to exercise because, you know, it's good for us. But then it's like, if I exercise, I'm putting myself possibly in jeopardy over here. So what do you do in those situations? Um, and I that that's something that I've been hearing a lot of lately. Like, oh, I found, you know, the doctors found this cardiovascular or whatever, but I still need to walk or I still need to lift weights like you stated. So what was their advice about that with you as far as exercising and everything like that? You know, because they don't really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they told me to like do PT, do stretches mm-hmm. um, and don't do repetitive movements. Um, but that was kind of it. They weren't really like, uh, you know, avoid anything. I I don't have a cardiac issue. It, it's more of just like a blood flow issue. It's like something's being cut off in here and my outlets, it's kind of like an outlet syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which is from the, uh, scar tissue. But, um, yeah, I mean, they didn't really advise me on anything. I mean, I know it's different for those of you who are on hormone therapy and tamoxifen right. and all that. It's definitely different. And, harder and it affects your heart rate so much and it makes it kind of go haywire but they they were kind of just like do what you can (laughs) just don't do repetitive movements and stretch oh god like (laughs) 
just the man. And I mean, I guess it's not their fault because if they don't know, they don't know. And I, yeah. I, I can't appreciate that more than you telling me something that you know fully well that you shouldn't be telling me. So it's sort of yeah. like a catch twenty two, I guess, with that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I've been, I've been an athlete my whole life, and I feel right. like at this point, I'm kind of in touch with my body, and I kind of know what to look out for, and um you know, Sloan is, is now very good about like, I mean, they always have been, but they're especially good about getting me in for a Doppler, like right away. And I feel like I know all the ladies there, all the technicians are like, you're back. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I might Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, I kind of just do what I can when I can. And I try to listen to my body as much as possible. Um, that's the main thing. I mean, when I was younger, I kind of just, I think we all did. We kind of just like, oh, yeah. did whatever we wanted and ignored an ache and pain and just kept going. But now I'm realizing like these could actually, that could actually have a detrimental effect because right. if I feel a clot and I keep working out, it could potentially break off and cause bigger issues. Wow. This has been very interesting because you're, I think you're probably the first guest as far as when it comes about blood clots like this. So um, and given the fact that you're not on any type of Nothing. treatment, it came not from surgery. And mm -hmm. that is another important factor. Like you did everything that you could as far as a previver to, you know, well, previver, but you also had some precancer. So I'm like, kind of, <laughs> you're kind of like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're kind of like in the middle, but you went in with the intent of, you yeah. know, this is, you know, so I won't have to do anything else yet. Right then you have all these other complications. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, guys. Yeah, <laughs> That's why so I'm hard. saying it's it's a hard decision to make. I could have just had a lumpectomy, but I was like, I don't, I just need to do this now so I can stop worrying and, you know, reduce my risk. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. And I, I, I am the type of person that um, will welcome a challenge. I mean, mm -hmm. it sucks, but I also am like, kind of like, what are you, what do I have to learn from this? What do I have right. to learn from this? Because it is going to make me wiser and it is going to help me kind of navigate life better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the coolest people you met aren't the ones that skate through life. They're right. the ones that have overcome adversity. So. And yeah, but I, I do, I really hope one day that when they go in and tell us about the double mastectomy, instead of just saying, you know, there's infection risk, I think they really need to dive in a little bit deeper about the scar tissue and the breast implant illness because oh my god they don't talk about that they don't they do not at all. talk about scar tissue at all they've I've known lymphedema um I've and infection and potential mm -hmm. every now and then they may throw in about a blood clot mm -hmm. but other than that they do not talk about scar tissue or the breast implant illness which is so significant yes. And it's such a bitch. Yes. It's awful. I cannot believe how bad it is. Yeah. Because now you don't know what's a lump or what scar tissue. <laughs> and right. You don't know if I'm tight because I have some lymphedema or is it a blood clot or is it my scar tissue? Like you right. never know because it all kind of feels the same sometimes. So it yeah. is something that should be discussed. And I'm thankful that you're Absolutely. sharing your story. Um, I'm so thankful you're sharing your story. 
So after all of that, now you're in your now. Mm-hmm. So you said that now you've learned and now you can, I mean, you're obviously helping other people through everything that you're doing on Instagram. And I'm sure beyond that, but now what do you feel like after, I'm not say after breast cancer, after anything, but you're, you're now, what is life like for you? Well, you know, it, it is, it is helping other people. Um, because I, you know, I kind of, I feel like my family on my mom's side who, where we got the BRCA mutation from, we're all kind of like, I can't do anything about this. I can't change my risk at all. And so I'm just going to like eat whatever I want and not exercise. And I, I am not about that life. I'm about doing the best I can when I can and not making myself crazy about it and just doing what I can, like I said. Right. Um, so, and I also do think that we have some control in this and I do think that we can give ourselves the best shot because like, we don't have to roll over and die and be like, oh, well, I have the BRCA mutation. I'm definitely going to get this cancer, that cancer. Of course I worry about it, but that's exactly why I do what I do. So I became uh, a certified holistic health coach. Um, and I try, you know, I help people do things to reduce their risk of developing cancer and, and educating them in ways that, you know, like certain things can increase your risk and certain right. things can reduce it. Obviously we can never do a hundred, you know, a hundred percent prevention, but we can try our best. Mm-hmm. We can try our best. It doesn't mean that we just eat, you know, Dunkin' Donuts all day and right. like eat whatever yeah. we want. And there are certain people in my extended family that did that. And I was just kind of like, why wouldn't you give yourself the best shot? And why wouldn't you want to feel kind of like the best you could Mm -hmm. going through this, um, or potentially go through this. So I I feel really passionately about that. I really want to give people as much empowerment as possible. Um, and, and, educate them because there are certain things that like I tell people about stuff and they're like, what? I had no idea. And, um, (laughs) and you know, I want to give people the tips and tricks about like the medical field. I work with doctors, you know, I, I work in a hospital and, and I've been doing it for almost 11 years now. I know I look young, right? Cause you you really do. You look like you're still in your twenties. I'm like, wow. God bless you. (laughs) You do. Because every time I'm like, gosh, she looks like you're still in her 20s. Those are the days, right? (laughs) But no, I'm in my mid 30s. Um, So, so you know, I'm wiser. And, um, you know, I want people to be able to advocate for themselves and for their family members the way I am able to and do for my family members as well. And just be knowledgeable about the things that I put in and on my body. and and to not kind of lay down and die. I hate to say that, but just like do your best. Yeah. That's kind of like, I want you to do your best. I want you to feel your best. I want you to feel some type of empowerment and control. Cause I kind of like when I first learned about the BRCA mutation, mm-hmm. I, I felt like there was nothing I could do about it. And then I was like, wait, I can do something about this. And then after just doing a lot of research and, learning about different things and, you know, plant-based diets and, mm-hmm. and reducing meat intake. Cause I used to eat chicken fingers. Like they were going out of style. <laughs> I used to eat chicken fingers. Like they were going out of style. 
no, but feel free to share any little tips that you want to share. I know you, I mean, that could be a whole nother interview. It could be a course. whole nother. Yeah. But, but are yeah. there any significant tips that you do want to leave people with regarding this? Because I, I'm very much, I was an athlete. Okay. I was told not to say that because once you're an athlete, you're always athletes. Maybe you've got, you are an athlete. So, <laughs> but I do, I, I still work out and I still mm-hmm. lift weights and I love it. And I think sometimes people may be at a particular weight and they're like, I just can't do it. Or they may, you know, that could be either overweight or underweight and just feel like they can't. But my thing is, I'm very much like, I agree with you. Try to do something every day. If it's nothing but 15 minutes of walking around your house or some of those videos that are on YouTube, but try anyway, try to eat better. So are there a couple of tips that you can leave with people that you really are passionate about far as what you would like to see people do or anything that you think that they need to know? Yeah, definitely. So processed meat, you know, processed meat and red meat, no bueno. Uh, try to reduce it as much as you can. Alcohol, try to reduce as much as you can. But my main tip is to crowd out. That's like my main tip. So I don't want anyone to feel like they're coming from a place of deprivation. I want them to feel like they're coming from a place of abundance. So instead of saying, oh, I need to cut this out, I need to cut that out, I'm going to add something in instead. So if you increase your greens, increase your vegetables, increase your fruits, beautiful crowd out the other stuff if that means doing less of like the red meat mm-hmm. and i you know and having more greens and vegetables on your plate and eat those first that also helps with digestion um so if you do that first and then you eat the cooked stuff later that's better uh but i do have like a freebie on my website uh okay. that gives a list of 10 cancer fighting foods and then 3 days of um example meal plan. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three days. And that's on my website, um, albaholisticwellness.com. So you can just, uh, put your email and it'll get sent right to you and you can have it in your pocket and explains to you why each one is good for you and good for preventing cancer. So I do have a question for you because you just reminded me of something. So you say processed meats and I, I know about the processed meats and stuff like that far as it can cause um carcin they're carcinogenic. Yeah. But so you know how you have like the soy um like the crumble because a lot of people you know they're like oh I'm gonna go plant based or I'm gonna go vegan or vegetarian and then they start buying a whole bunch of processed stuff that is made out of not not necessarily that soy is bad because you know that's supposedly a myth. But my whole point is a lot of plant-based, there are a lot of plant-based foods out there that are packaged and they have high sodium and a lot of high fat and saturated. Yeah. So plant saturated fat, but yeah. the whole point is those packages of plant-based foods, what do you consider them? Are they considered healthier? Are they considered, you know, you got to watch those too. What's your thought on that? Okay. Yeah. So there's a few different things. So plant-based means based off of plants, not processed. It's from plants. It's minimally processed. It doesn't mean that like those are considered like vegan. And if they use the word plant-based, they're just kind of, kind of tricking the consumer maybe, um, or like plant burgers or something like that. But Mm plant-based means that it's low processed. It's from plants. It's like 
what you make in your kitchen. Okay. It depends. I, you know, I can't speak generally of all the, uh, you know, items out there, but there were studies of like someone eating a beyond burger versus a regular burger. And they found that the beyond burger was still better for them. Although we shouldn't have processed, it said that it was still better for them. Um, but yeah, if you can avoid processed, it definitely would, but it, it, it does show that, you know, the processed meat and the real meat is is worse for you. And it has higher fat and, and cholesterol and all that than the, um, uh, fake meat. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of call it the fake meat too. (laughs) No, but that's good to know because a lot of times I'm like, Oh, that's packaged too. Like, and I, and because of my own health issues, I look a lot at the, the sodium content and Mm -hmm. cholesterol and things of those natures. Yeah. So that's, that's really good to know. Yeah. So you did tell us where we could find you far as your website. And I'm also going to post it when I um, let everyone know that everything is out for them to go watch and listen to on the podcast, but also where can they find you on Instagram or if you have Facebook, TikTok, where else can they find you? I'm at Alba holistic wellness on Instagram as well. Um, and and that's the social media that I have right now because I'm just focusing on that because oh, okay. right? that's enough. Oh, <laughs> and then yeah. my website. Um, yeah. so I'm I'm on Instagram and I have my website up. Um, well, it's partially up. It's in the process of fully getting launched, but I have the freebie on there. You can just sign up and it will get sent to you. Awesome. And far as what you do with the medical fill, is there a way that people can find you if they need? Because you. You do what again? Because I'm a medical speech pathologist. So we do deal a lot with laryngeal cancer, um, chemo brain Uh, and, and same thing. They can find me there too. We we do deal a lot with chemo brain and the neurotoxicity that results from radiation and chemo. So that's on your website as well, where they can find you if they need to come to the hospital or the well, hospital where you work. So I I am actually a supervisor for uh, New York City Health and Hospital. Gotcha. So I oversee the other speech pathology um, departments. Nope, but that's still good to know because now we still know where we can find. <laughs> so you can find me floating around in New York City. <laughs> yeah, but we know. Okay, if I need a speech pathologist, pathologist, obviously I need one. Um, <laughs> we can go. We can go there because you're overseeing, and mm-hmm. I would trust the people that you're overseeing because <laughs> yes, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's good to know. Um, so do you have anything else you want to share or anything that's coming up or is that pretty much it far as your story? Cause I want to get into your, to your song that you chose, but before mm. we get into that, I want to make for sure that you share whatever you needed to share. No, thank you so much, Christina. I, you know, we didn't even get to talk about racing against Braca, but if everyone, if, no, go ahead, go ahead. If, if you guys want to watch that, it got, um, it got into the New York city film festival. I think that's oh. the film festival we got into, but it was a few years ago. It was right after my mastectomy and, um, I ran the New York city marathon 11 months after my mastectomy and I, ran it quite quickly. It was my first marathon ever. And I qualified for Boston and I wanted to make that because I didn't have at that time. I like, there was like not a lot of young people getting mastectomies. It was really sore. It's really kind of crazy. Um, 
And, you know, when I would look on blogs, I would see all these older women. They were like, oh, well, I did step after my mastectomy, but I couldn't really do much more. And I was like, no, F that. I'm going to go hard. I want women to know that they can do this after their mastectomy too. So I hope that is like helpful for some people to like have some imagery if they're going to have surgery or if they just had surgery, they can see me running and they can imagine themselves doing it because they can, they totally can. That's good. And so where, and where can they find that again? I want you to repeat it for them. It's racing against Braca on YouTube. Okay. Racing. And my husband, my beautiful husband made that. He, yes. like I said, it it is that really- he made. Really? You're like, he made that, but he's not going to get. He doesn't make any of my Instagram. (laughs) You may be a filmmaker, sir, but no. (laughs) (laughs) That is beautiful. It it was really good. Like I watched it and I was like, wow, this is very impactful. And just to hear your whole story and then to see you actually in action and running, that was like, wow, she is really. Oh my gosh. You know, I, 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 that was pain. That was pain. you can see it on your face. like. <laughs> yeah. I think the part where they, they, yep. where it, that's, I think, I think we're entering into like the 23rd mile and we're going mm-hmm. uphill and you go uphill. They put the uphill at the end. Yeah. Like, I think so. Real nice. Real nice. <laughs> going up fifth Avenue, just struggling, but I did it. And, did. and, and, um, you know, what I kept thinking during that time, I remember was one step at a time. And that's wow. kind of like what is applicable to so many people in so many situations, mm-hmm. just focus on one step at a time. Wow. And so also with that, cause you didn't talk about your coaching far as your race coach, correct? Yes. I'm also a run coach and, run you know, coach. also, and you know, necessity breeds invention. So I had didn't know anybody who was running with a mastectomy. And I was like, how am I going to breathe? And it is hard to breathe after, especially I'm under the, the scar tissue under, under the muscle. I'm like, what do I have paperweights strapped to my chest? That's what it feels like. Um, and so you need, you definitely need someone to understand your situation. I mean, God bless my coach. He, he is really good. Um, he, he was, he's an Olympian he, and he's from New Zealand. So he kind of like helped me along, but, um, he didn't understand what I was going through and right. we kind of like figured it out on our own. But now I'm coaching women who have had mastectomies who want to get back into running. You are a busy lady because everything you're doing takes a lot of time, but <laughs> when Thinking you have about that- those Instagram posts take the most, <laughs> yeah. But you have, you're passionate about it. So that that's the beauty of it all. Um, oh my gosh. So yeah, I didn't, yeah, I can't imagine fart because I just walking like at fast pace or jogging a little bit. It's like an iron belt or something across my chest. It's yeah. People ask me, what does it feel like? I'm like, it feels like somebody saran wrapped two paperweights and I'm trying to run uphill really fast. And that's what it feels like. And it's sometimes really tough. Yeah. And sometimes it's just, you're not even running. <laughs> it just happens. Why are you um, breathing so heavy? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's like I got some metal strapped to my chest. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> but you're so right about going under the muscle because that's how my expanders were because people don't understand like they cut the muscle away from the bone and they put it under the muscle and then the they uh it's bad the first race i raced with a uh, post mastectomy it was like mm -hmm. um six months after i stopped in the middle of the race i i was like it's tearing from my chest. I think my chest is going to burst open. I was like, I think something's going to rip. That's really what it felt like, but it gets better. I don't want anyone to get afraid. Right. Right. Better. You right. get better. It get better. It's, right. it's, you just have to rebuild your chest wall too. You do. And your yeah. diaphragmatic breathing and yeah. working on your diaphragm and not letting it go into spasm. And that's what happens to me a, a lot, but I work on stretching it. Yeah. My physical therapist was telling me like, it's really difficult because the scar tissue gets woven into the muscle. And so it's really difficult. Like it's one thing to have a layer of scar tissue, but then when it starts weaving itself into the muscle, that's where a lot of our pain and tightness start coming from. Good times. Oh my God. But I do like when I lift weight, when I'm lifting a lot of weights and doing push-ups and stuff, it hurts during the process. Like you stated but the more you work at it, the better you feel. And if I take a day off, you know, yeah, the norm, then I am like, oh my God, I feel like this iron bra or belt or whatever. It's, it's like, like so tight. Yeah, it's bad. But so as long tight. as you stretch, you're right. It it feels a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You have to stretch. Yeah. So with that being said, I guess we can get into the song that you chose for your reel. If you can tell us what the name of it was and why you chose it. Um. So what did I have? Shake it off. Right. Because I <laughs> yeah. picked it a long time ago because we got delayed. It was um Florence um, and the machine. the machine and the machine. Yes. And it was shake it off yep. or was it? it yeah. Off. Yeah. It so off. basically shake it off. Um. <laughs> so she says like you have a devil on your back. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of keep going even though it's there and, and that's kind of like relevant to my life. I feel like my bra commutation is a bit, a bit of the devil on my back. And I kind of, I try my best to shake it off and I keep running and I keep going and I keep trying to empower and help other people, help myself, help my family. So yeah, like I and I also love that song to work out to. She I love Florence and the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So what is a word that you can leave with the audience that um can help them with whether they have new wounds, whether they have old scars, but it's just very difficult for them mentally and physically. What word and why do you choose that word to help encourage the audience? So my word my word is tenacity mm. and, and don't ever lose your tenacity. Even if you have a low level of tenacity, like there was plenty of times when I, you know, when I had my second surgery, it was six months before my wedding, our wedding. And, um, I remember feeling really low and I, I remember feeling really sad and and I do have a lot of tenacity for life and feeling very low in tenacity and and I just kind of imagined myself back to where I was before and trying to get there and 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 trying to bring that back because that wasn't me but just um don't don't ever give up and if you are feeling like how am I ever going to get out of this hole use imagery of yourself or use imagery of other people and, and 
at a place where you want to be and um, don't ever lose your tenacity for life. I love it. <laughs> and I would have to say for you, as I've been listening to you, cause you know, we've gone back and forth in messages, but tonight just seeing your presence and after watching the video and just hearing you speak, I just see nothing but just pure calm. I think of you as a calm presence, but one who has a very powerful voice. Mm. And because for you to be so young and go through all of this, yet still advocate the way that you did for yourself. And when you do that, you don't do it, like I stated, for just yourself. You're doing it for your family. You're doing it for your children. You know, you're doing it for the future of them and the future of everyone else. So mm. I just want you to continue to speak but also continue to have that calmness that you have because it's very inviting and it keeps other people calm, even when they may be going through something and mm -hmm. even your videos. Now your videos, they're not so calm. You know, you're like telling people <laughs> they're very energetic. Um, and that's a different type of platform for you. But at the same time, it still brings a sense of peace and it still seems, it brings a sense of hope because a lot of your videos are showing people that they can do it. Yet, and still, even in the moments, even in your video, your um, documentary that your husband did, there was a time in there, if I'm not mistaken, where you were crying because you had just had the um, mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment it looked to some people it may look like vulnerability, but even in that, you could still see a sense of calm. Mm. And a lot of times people need that in their life as they're trying to get to the next level in their life. So- mm. Thank you so much. For well, thank you so much for that, Christina. It's been lovely. I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. And I loved having you up here. Absolutely. You can come up here anytime. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're going to have to plan something out because I'm starting to do more. I'm going to get into more like IG lives too. So yeah, let's yeah. do it. I'd Absolutely. Love to do it. I will definitely mm -hmm. get with you. Well, everyone, this is another Our Scars Speak episode. I thank each and every one of you for watching and for being here tonight or watching later on our YouTube channel or our podcast, listening to it. And we always thank our guests because they're so great. And Caroline, thank you so much. And for everyone, I hope and I know that you did receive something from her today and um, you can go back and listen to it. But remember that your mental and your physical scars speak a story. When you're supposed to tell a story, we do not know. We're not trying to pressure you. However, if you ever get to the point of sharing, please do so because those scars that speak, those mental and physical scars that speak, they can help another heal their wounds. So with that being said, we love you all. We will see you again next week and bye. Thank you for listening to Our Scars Speak. And we hope you can join us again real soon. Meanwhile, remember that our mental and physical scars speak a story that can help heal the wounds of another.